Deuteronomy chapter 6 is our key text for today. And a sermon that I have entitled, The Lord is One, Look, Listen, and Live Out. Look, Listen, and Live Out. When the Bible's in hand, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll read these first six verses, pray, and then we'll dive in. The word of the Lord says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your sons, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days might be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words what I command that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of the word to our heart and to our mind. And God, as the expositor for the hour today, I pray you would hide me behind the cross. Give me the words that I need to say, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would find correction in them. And Father, that as we heard your word, we will see it demonstrated. We will learn it, and we will live it out as Christ followers. We thank you for your many blessings and the extreme privilege we have to listen to your word in a setting such as this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so as you realize today, uh, this is Holy Week. As we celebrate the hosannas that rang out in Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem would call out to God to save them, and the emphatic is, Lord, save us now. So we reflect on this holy week, and we do so by dipping back into Deuteronomy 6 with something that is called the Shema. And we will unpack that in just a moment and what that means for us today from the lips of the Lord Jesus. In today's ever-changing culture, the one consistent element is that of change. Times are changing and always will. We have gone from a society where social justice has taken an unbiblical and a demeaning persona. What do I mean by that? The day that we live in, this distorted view of social justice has attempted to strip justice from the one and true arbiter of justice, and that is the Lord God Almighty. If you will note in the beginning of the book of Genesis... How does the book of Genesis open its discourse? It says, in the beginning, from the very, in the beginning, that is recorded in the book of Genesis, 
to the amen in the closing of the revelation, there has been and always will be the arbiter of true grace, mercy, and perfect justice is the Lord God Almighty. Someone say amen, please. He is the true arbiter of grace, true grace, mercy, and perfect justice. So when I say the words true justice to you, I do not mean the B-grade Steven Seagal movie. So if you were to go right now and type in true justice in a search engine, that's what's going to pop up. I do not mean this, this watered-down sense of justice, but eternal, true, perfect justice. How would one define justice? Well, we would define it as such. The quality of being fair and reasonable, or the administration of the law or authority in maintaining this justice. So no one will ever be able to stand before God Almighty and point their finger at Him for being unjust. No one will stand before the Lord God. Nobody will stand before Jesus Christ, point at Him with their crooked finger and say, You have been unjust to me. No one in the history of history will be able to lay such an accusation of the Lord God. But here's the thing that we know about the Lord that we serve. Even in His true, eternal, perfect justice, He is also a God that does not desire that any should perish. And there is a reason that God gives commands. There is a reason that God gives instructions. It is so that we might live as His people. I reflect on the words of Peter. In fact, the second letter that bears Peter's name, chapter 3 and verse 9, that says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord's desire is for there to be redemption. But we know that's not going to happen on a worldwide scale. We know that there is going to be lost people, and there have been lost people, who on a daily basis die and slip into eternity, never to enjoy the truth of God's love ever again, who will re, who, whose reality will be an eternity of the constant justice and judgment of the wrath of God Almighty. Can you imagine that? And yet the word says that our Lord would not have any to perish, but all should reach repentance. And so today we're going to revisit the motives of these commands. It seems, if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it seems that this is a reminder of the reminder of the reminders. To what? To hear and obey the word of the Lord. But why is remembering so important? Why is it remembering on the past? Why is it so important? There's a couple things we can say. Well, so we don't trip and fall like our forefathers did or like our parents did so we can learn from mistakes. Why is it so important that, that Moses will reiterate time and time again? Why is it so important? Because we easily forget. Why is the preaching of the Word so important? Sunday after Sunday. Why is teaching in Sunday school so important? It is because we easily forget. 
The reality is, though, if we were close to the Lord Jesus as we think that we should be, reiteration would not be as necessary. As Robert Robertson wrote one of my favorite hymns of all time, the words for come thou fount of every blessing, he wrote of our propensity to wander as he stated, draw my wandering heart to thee. Why? Because I am prone to wander from him. So God, draw me, pursue me. Why does my heart wander from the Lord? Why does it stray from God Almighty? Why do I do the things that I do not want to do? It might be because I am too headstrong in individualism. It might mean that I have idols in my life that need to come down. It could mean that I do not appreciate the deep sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And I don't think about the, uh, the, the sacrifice and the agony of the cross on a daily basis. In short, it is because of my sin nature that battles with the Spirit. And as we're walking out on the drama side and as, as we go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus would say that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is, it is weak. And so when we come to places like Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see this repetition again. We might say, well, here we go again, but we need that repetition. They needed this repetition. It is because we are so fast to stray, we need reminding. Now here's something to think about. You want to see an indication of God's love? I, I, I spoke about this a couple of week, weeks ago at the end, that, that God is love. Remember that? God is love. If you want to see a, uh, uh, the fingerprint of, of God's love on his people's life, if you want to see maybe a clear demonstration other than what we find in Romans 5 and verse 8 that says God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we want to see this worked out, go back in Scripture from Genesis to the book of the Revelation and find out how many times that God repeats himself for his, for his people. And the picture that you'll get is this, a loving father who will go out of his way to disciple and remind his children until they get it. Until they get it. And here's the kicker. We don't always get it right, do we? In fact, if we were to chalk up the many times that we get it wrong, we would probably lose count. But then there is Jesus, who is our advocate. <sighs> Who is our righteousness? Now, I only want to really stress this one point as it is in the sermon. The, the Lord God is one. And I really I want, I want to focus in on this for a minute. It's something called the Shema. And this is what is known to our Hebrew friends, our Jewish friends. And, and I mentioned it, I mentioned it before, maybe a couple of weeks ago, but I want to re-enter this point a little for, for further clarification. Even the Lord Jesus dips back into this Shema when he mentions amongst many places, Matthew 22, verse 37, and he, and, he, and he said to him that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is, is like it, it's similar. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the summation of the law is to love God with everything that you have, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this is really the summation of the, of the commandments. 
So Moses, who I believe he loves his people, as a good leader will, love on the people. He is also a foreshadow of the greatest deliverer to come. He foreshadows the coming of the anointed one, the Christ, the true deliverer, the Lord Jesus. So what do we, what do we learn from Deuteronomy 6? What do we learn? Well, there's the giving of the information. I could preach all day to you and unpack Scripture. And unless there is a point of application, will it have effect? So I want, I've got one point I want to I bring it out in two different ways. So number one is look, listen, and to live out. Look, listen, and live out. If there's any lesson that a Christ follower needs to keep close to their heart, it is this. Look, listen, and live out. And what do I mean by that? As we learn the word of the Lord, we execute it or we live it out in our life. Why do we live out what we learn in Scripture? Why do we live it out? And I'll give you a very short answer to that question. And that is, so that Christ may get the glory. So that Christ might get the glory in my life as I live it out. For the glory of Jesus, so I'm looking like Jesus in a way. I'm pointing people to Christ. That he might get the glory. So, here's Moses. He's given this, uh, the commandments again. Ten words, the Decalogue, the moral law of God. He's reiterated again to a new generation. And he says, this is the commandment. These are the statues. These are the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Why? That you may do them. Live them out. As James says, be ye doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. What you learn, you put into action. So here's the motives again laid out. Aren't you glad that the Lord gives us revelation of his will? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God gives us clear direction of his will in our lives? Sometimes we muddy the water, don't we? Sometimes we muddy the water. Now, he says, to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And so the motive Here, the Lord's heart is transparent to His people. It is so that God's people might prosper, so they might flourish perpetually, loving God and loving one another. The reason that we have teachers, the reason we have preachers, the reason that we have leaders is to help highlight continually the importance of living out the Word of the Lord so that you might fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's sons by keeping all the statutes and the commands which I command you all the days of your life, that your days might be long. And so even this is this primitive idea of what we would call today discipleship. Passing on what we learn to uh, those in our family and being the spiritual leader in our families. He says, fear the Lord, revere the Lord. Know that He is just. Know that He is long-suffering. You've seen Him bring us out of Egypt. But he is also a Lord who is the author of life and death itself. There is a healthy fear of the Lord God Almighty. Knowing that at any moment, any moment, God would call us home. And guess what? He would be perfectly just in doing it. So, here again is the purpose of the commands. So that you might have a fruitful life. The idea is a a perpetual life of human 
flourishing. Loving God and loving one another. And I submit to you that can never be achieved, never be achieved outside the work and person of Jesus. So he says, keep them. And when he says keep them, he is teaching them to live in a continual practice of them. And how does one live out no other gods or no other idols? How do you live that out? Well, you follow and you serve the Lord only. Maybe that is what we need a little bit more of today in our culture. As the old saying goes, to put your money where your mouth is. You've heard that saying, right? I want to see, and I'm speaking from the, the worldly perspective, the world wants to see authenticity. They want to see a genuine follower of Jesus. In what way do you demonstrate that to those around you? That we are a genuine follower of Christ. Well, there are some clear parameters in Scripture that we love one another. For those in hostile countries, it might mean that they are to stir the baptismal waters because it means for them to be baptized and make a public profession of their faith it could mean the end of their life. It could be, mean the end of their family. Their, the lives of their family are, are at stake. But for some in hostile countries, they might be baptized and make that public profession of faith. Bring it in a little bit closer. Maybe for those in farm life, it, it might mean to reach out to your neighbors, your friends about Jesus, and, and get plugged into a church that isn't worried about building castles, but are burdened with building the kingdom. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is a church that is worried and burdened with, with outreach and not in reach. Furthermore, you don't chase after things that will ultimately bring you harm. You chase after Jesus. But it's also interesting here that Moses calls on the sons to pass on these commands. So he is emphasizing the point that the men are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. And some would stop there and say, well, these seem like very chauvinistic verses. Can't the women be spiritual leaders? Yes. The Bible tells me in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, it reminds me of the parameters of a healthy home being led by the Lord Jesus Christ. As a wife, submit to their husbands. Why? Because the husband will lay his life down for his wife as Christ would lay, his, lay down his life for the church. But there is a role of the men in the home to lead their families well. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of discipline. Try to discipline a six-year-old with the word or a family altar every night. You'll have every single distraction in the world come your way. But what does it mean to make disciples, you might ask? We, 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 we throw this word around, the disciples. We have, what did we have last night? About 13 disciples out there? 13 or 14. Disciples, what does it mean? What does a disciple mean? A disciple, you can be a disciple of anything. 
You could be a disciple of evolution. You could be a disciple of, of Mormonism. You could be a disciple of anything. But in this context, what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What it means simply or implies simply is that you are a learner of Jesus. You learn His ways, you learn His word, and you make disciples of those around you. It means that we pass on what we learn to others. And I reflect in the words of the Apostle Paul writing his second letter to his son in the faith. Really to Timothy, if you will. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says this, And what you have heard from me, what have they heard from him? That Jesus is alive. They've heard the gospel. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Means you're like banking with them. Here, I trust this word to you. To faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I had a professor that would call this transferable concepts. But I would take it a step further and submit to you that these are transferable truth. That Jesus was, the, was born on this earth by a virgin, lived a perfect life, lived a, a sinless life. He died on the old rugged cross. He was put in, the, in a tomb. He rose out of that grave on the third day and now is making intercessions on our behalf. That is what is entrusted to faithful men. Amen? Martin Luther said it this way, a religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. It costs, it costs to disciple our families and to lead them well. Then he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised, is a land of milk and honey. Here's a, here's a land of milk and honey in opposition to the land of Egypt that was one of slavery and, and bondage. Here's a land you're going to. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be everything that you need to flourish with God and one another. Moreover, obedience is still highlighted here as the condition for true success and victory. And today we live in, it seems as we are in a land of, of milk and honey, at least in, in resources and things that are at the tip of our fingers, that we can, resources we can get almost daily. Go on the internet, you can order anything that you want off the internet. Today we live in a land that is prosper, prosperous. The, the world is full of people who, who, are, who, who seem to be living successfully, living long and living well, but success in life is not how much you have. It is not how much money you have in the bank. It's not about how many friends that you have. It's not how, how social you are. It, it's not about how much of an influence you are. It, it, those things is, is, is not what it means to be successful. Success doesn't mean how, how it's not measured how big your family is. It's not, it's not measured in how much you have. It, it, is, it is measured how one lives their life for the Lord Jesus. And as I was studying this, the words of the late George Beverly Shade come to mind. And he used to sing this song. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. <laughs> I'd rather have Jesus. That is success in this life and how we live our life to the Lord. When I stand before the Lord Jesus, 
You know the words that I want to hear him say? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'd rather have Jesus than anything in this world. Now, the Lord is demonstrating here that I have so much more for you if you will simply follow my command. Hear, O Israel, he said, the Lord God, the Lord is one. You will love him with your whole being, everything that you have. Two times in these verses, Moses used the exhortation to hear. And these, and these words that are used to hear is so much more than just listening or hearing. It is the word in the Hebrew, Shema. It is to listen or learn, and it means more than just simply listening. You know, I can be talking to my boys, and I can say, do you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. They can, might even be listening, but what are they learning from it? What are we learning? First, what are they tuning into? What are they listening to? Well, number one, they are hearing the history of their people coming out of Egypt, being reminded that they were lifted up out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God Almighty. They are reminded of their history. They are reminded of the commands that were laid out from the Lord, by the Lord. The Ten Commandments, if you will. The moral law. The Lord God is one exclamation point and point received. So it is more than just hearing. As I stated earlier, they are to be lived out in our lives. Now, the Hebrew part of their history, uh, these reading of the Shema is, in short, is called the reading of the Shema. And they would read it twice a day. They would read it in the morning and in the evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. The question was asked in terms of how early should we teach our children. In this sense, it was framed in the Shema. How early should we teach our children the commands of God Almighty? How early do we begin to teach our children what the Lord God says? And upon re reciting the Shema, one rabbi was asked the question, how early do, did a child start reciting the law or even learning Deuteronomy 6.3 and 6.4 and 6.5? And one rabbi was said it this way, from what point are parents obligated to feed their child? At what age are parents required to begin providing clothes for their child? Just as a child begins to grow and mature and absorb and ingest immediately upon entering the world and even beforehand, so does our obligation to educate our child and provide for his or her spiritual nourishment and needs begin at that point. Immediately upon entering this world and even beforehand, we must ensure that the child is surrounded by a positive spiritual environment and I would say a Christ-centered environment. For when our children come in the world, they should be automatically injected into a Christ-centered atmosphere. The problem we have today when teaching the Bible to children is we think that they cannot grasp big concepts. And that would be farther from the truth. It is not the concept itself that is the issue, it is the way that we teach them. I remember we were a part of a church in Wake Forest, and this was with uh, probably toddlers, maybe a little on up, two, three-year-olds, that age. And I remember this, the uh, pastor at the time was walking through the Trinity with these young, these young boys and girls. But you know how he did it? He had a puppet, and he would use the puppet. 
and he would teach them the Trinity. Not that he was trying to lay out, now, if you put this egg here, it's still an egg, it's got a shell, it's got a yolk, and it's got the egg white, it's still an egg. No, none of those, none of those uh, uh, illustrations that ultimately will break down. No, just teaching from God's Word. And you know what? They begin to grasp it. How many in here can understand the depth of the Trinity fully? Children can grasp more than what we think. But here's the thing. We think that strictly entertaining our children will enhance their learning. So, when you see a Sunday school teacher in here today, someone who teaches children or leads children, thank them for their service. Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, children's church leaders, desire should be this, what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It is out of love that we seek to honor the Lord Jesus in following His commands and then to see our children grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we really love our children? We would say, what would we say to that? Do you love your children? What would you say? Absolutely. These words I command you that you today you sh they shall be in your heart to look, listen, and to live out. And for whatever reason, I get this image in my mind of the soldier on the battlefield. And for whatever reason, I'm taken back to the trenches of World War I. In World War I, the armies on each opposing side were involved in what is called trench warfare. Any historians in here might know that in World War I, they would build these, they would dig these really long trenches and they would, and they would hunker down on each side. And the trench warfare is defined as this. Opposing armed forces attack and counterattack and defend from permanent systems of trenches dug into the ground. The opposing system of trenches are usually close to one another. Trench warfare is resorted to when the superior firepower of the defense compels the opposing force to dig in so extensively as to sacrifice their mobility in order to gain protection. In other words... Each side would dig a long trench and they would bombard one another until the other was taken over. It is a constant cat and mouse game that was grueling on the soldiers. But what must happen in these times of war? One must examine their surroundings. They must have a plan of action and then execute that action to overtake the enemy. Now, why do I mention that? Because if you think that the enemy isn't doing the same against your family and your children, your marriage, or your ministry, you would be sadly mistaken. Do you know that the divorce rate amongst Christ-following families is just the same as those who would be considered non-believers or unbelievers? The enemy is doing everything that he can to attack families. In fact, I'm reminded of these verses or this particular verse in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober-minded. What does that mean? Be stable. Be sober. Straight. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone who may, he may devour, that someone might be your children. 
As someone might be your husband, your wife, your ministry, your mission, your witness for Christ. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ has already gained the victory on the cross. And when he rose again on the third day, amen, somebody praise the Lord. But Moses says, for the people to look, see that God has brought you out of Egypt, listen to the instruction, and learn the living it out part of loving the Lord your God with all of your being, serving him. And we are instructed much the same. Look at the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Look at him. Look what he did on the cross, the empty tomb. Hear the instruction of our Lord. Hear the instruction in Scripture. And then don't just hear it. Don't just listen to it. Don't just say, yeah, I know what that says. But to live it out by making disciples. Second part of this in closing is the look, listen, and learn practicum. Okay, so he gives them instruction. And then he says, this is how you put it in practice. So I'm going to highlight a few of these verses as we make it to the end of this chapter. And I have a few things I've underlined that would help us put this into practical matters. Number one in verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk with them when you sit down. Be diligent to meet with your family in a time of of prayer. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be this form. It doesn't have to, it doesn't, you don't have to have a bulletin in your home. Print it out with the order of service. No, you don't have to say, children, let's gather together. Let's hear a word from the Lord. No, you don't, you don't have to, ha- it doesn't have to be this, this uh, strict and stringent thing, but you ought to be diligent as we teach them, and I fail more than anybody at this. You shall bind it, the word on your on your hand and write them on your heart. And, and, and verse 9 says, write them on the doorpost. I remember in seminary, we had Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents. Write eye level with our children as they went out the door for school. Reminding us, reminding them. And I was looking for mine somewhere around the corner that said, well, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Learn the word, the deep treasures of God's word. Instill it in your family. Write it on your doorpost. Build it into the foundation of your home. Verse 12, and then take care at least you forget the Lord. And again, I mentioned the reason we preach God's word and teach it is because many times we are prone to forget and drift. That's why we need people in our lives to Spurn us on to encourage us, to teach with us, and to help us to learn. He says, Him you shall fear and serve by His name. You shall, you shall swear only by His name. Don't go after other gods or idols because He is a jealous God. He wants your full adoration. He wants your full worship. And, and God is not going, He's got, not going to compete with other idols. And as I mentioned, for a Christ follower, you either tear them down or the Lord God will. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Do what is right in the sight of the Lord. In verse 20, what is the meaning of the testimony of the statute and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? This is a question. Every time we open the word of God in, in a small group setting or Sunday school or standing in the, in, behind the sacred desk unpacking God's word, there should be a question, what does this mean for us? How does this, how does this motivate us? To be on, vi- on mission, how does this motivate us to worship? 
What is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of all this that we hear and we teach? So, a young father would say to his son, You look in Egypt. You might not remember this. You don't remember this. You don't know this other than what you have heard. But we were slaves in Egypt. And God brought us out by His mighty hand. He had shown His mighty signs and wonders against Egypt. He brought plagues upon the land. He delivered us so that we might have a land that is free, that He had given us and had promised to us. The Lord had given us these commandments so that we would fear the Lord our God, for it is for our good that we obey them. It is for our good so that we might flourish in them. Again, loving God and loving others. And then he closes. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as He's commanded us. And now we would fast forward to the work and person of Christ that we would say today that, that it is He who became sin who knew no sin so that we would be the righteousness of God. It is like the Israelites we're in sin. We were slaves to sin as well. Now there is much that, can, that we can relate to with this reminder. And I would say to you, there never was a time like now when the divine command, to, and it is, a divine, it is a command, it is an imperative to teach our children, to teach our youth, to teach our families, to teach one another is so needed today. You know, our children spend, what, eight hours in school a day? Receiving an education, worldly education, if you will. But I will submit to you, it is incomplete education. It neglects or it negates to train up a child in the way that he or she shall go, so that when they are older, they will not depart from what they have learned. It was once said, strong, definite Religious convictions constitute the real strength of any country. But I would change that. I would say, instead of any country, I would submit to you any soul. So I would rephrase it like this. Uh, strong, definite religious convictions constitute the real strength of any soul. Youth is at an age when we are more likely to be led astray by passions of the world the first taste that we get of the world. I firmly believe that the heart of Moses was for the people to listen to the word of God, to learn that word and to live it out. The word of God should dwell in the heart of the believer so richly and at all times and in all places. But the question is why? Because this leads to saving knowledge of God and His will. And by teaching, by explaining the good news, by laying out the good news continually, it will make the believer wiser unto their salvation. And by the blessing of the Holy Spirit, will enable us to pass this saving message on to our children and all who will hear it. In fact, uh, the book of Romans 10, verse 17, well-known verse, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Moms, dads, guardians, whoever it might be here today, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, 
When was the last time you asked your children, can I tell you about the time I come to faith in Jesus? When was the last time you sat down with your child to teach them the word? But I will also say this. The church's job is not to take responsibility away from you as a spiritual leader in your home. Discipling your child is your job, but we will walk with you in it. Same can be said for any child of God in here through Christ. The Lord God is one. Look and see how God has demonstrated His good work through the death and resurrection of the Son. We listen and learn as we hear God's word and as we make disciples. But it doesn't stop there. We live out what we learn and we do it for the glory of Jesus Christ so that others would be drawn to the Lord. Would you pray with me?